Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. I would love for you to help us spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, today I want to welcome Iceland to the list of 58 countries listening from around the world. Today, my guest is William Santana Lee. Bill is an American entrepreneur with over 30 years of experience, and he has a broad range and deep expertise gained from several global assignments in the automotive sector and a number of startups. He's presently the chairman and CEO of Nightscope, developer of a crime-fighting autonomous security robots. I cannot wait for this conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Bill. Hey, thanks for having us. Greetings from Silicon Valley. How are you? I am doing awesome. Well, you know what? I need to know a little bit more about the backstory and the inspiration behind what you're doing today. Well, we watched a bunch of movies like (laughs) Robocop and Terminator and all this other stuff. And we're like, yeah, we should just make those. And like, we can make them all work for Big Brother and everything will be fine. (laughs) All kidding aside. So as a former automotive executive, I believe self-driving autonomous technology is really going to turn the world upside down. I'm just not necessarily in the agreement in the path to commercialize the technology. So we've taken a little bit of a different approach. And second, I was born in New York City. Someone hit my town on 9-11. I'm still profoundly ticked off about it. Yeah. Uh, So the rest of my life, I'm dedicating to better securing our country. Wow. That's powerful. Well, and you know, when you think about 9-11, I mean, there was a lot of different ways people got into the fight. And I think this is a pretty exciting way to get into the the fight for crime. So can we talk a little bit about this technology? I know you founded the company in 2013. How did you approach starting a business in this industry? I mean, this is not just one of these, you know, easy to enter industries. Oh, that- Natalie is super easy. Just put up a website, download the right. stuff from the cloud. Everything just appears. This is really <laughs> straightforward. I don't know. It's a, it's a challenging sector. So the, the country's over 200 years old. We're in our 46th yeah. president. Crime has a $2 trillion negative economic impact on the U.S. every single year. Wow. It's a hidden tax we all pay in blood, tears, and treasure. Mm-hmm. And when someone shoots up a school or a movie theater or some horrifying crime occurs every few seconds, either violent crime or property crime, like who gets fired? No one. Because right. no one's accountable. And so that's problem number one. The problem number two is just a simple math problem. There are about a million law enforcement officers in the US. Uh, there are about a million security guards. They're running 24 seven. Uh, so at any given time, there's only 500,000 humans trying to secure 332 million Americans across 50 states. Like that math just doesn't work, especially right. if you've got them out there with the technological equivalent of a number two pencil and a notepad. Mm-hmm. we would never as a country dare do that to a soldier, right? We've got two plus yeah. million soldiers out there in a theater of war with every level of capability you might ever imagine and stuff you can possibly imagine. There's one person in charge, something goes wrong, that person gets fired. That's right. There is a Northrop Grumman, a Lockheed Martin, a Raytheon to build whatever submarine, jet fighter, crazy technology you want. There's a process, there's risk capital and the like. Surprisingly, on our own soil, we, we don't have that. So 19,000 law enforcement agencies, 8,000 private security firms, the Department of Justice and the Department of Homeland Security have no federal jurisdiction. 
to put forth any risk capital, any innovation process or anything. And so that's why this thing is just broken. And therein lies the opportunity as well as the massive frustration. And I, I think we've got a shot to fix the problem. Wow. So can we dig into what your technology is and then how that technology could potentially be deployed to fix some of the problems that you just mentioned? So as I mentioned, there's only half a million humans trying to trying to secure the country at any given time. So what we really need to do is build some technology that can give them eyes, ears, and voice on the ground in multiple locations at the same time. So these are autonomous security robots that we have patrolling across the country to unique combination of four technologies that are really hard unto themselves. And then we decided, oh, well, it's not hard enough. Let's just combine them and put them all together. So it's autonomous self-driving technology, like a self-driving car, Mm -hmm. uh, robotics, artificial intelligence, and electric vehicles. And the idea is to, one, provide that eyes, ears, and voice on the ground, as I mentioned earlier. But at the same time, a little less obvious is to provide a physical deterrence. Mm-hmm. So very simply, if I were to put a marked law enforcement vehicle in front of your home or your office, criminal behavior will change. Just physically being there stops a lot of silly, negative stuff from happening. Yeah, uh, it stops me you- from speeding. So I get what you're saying. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? You're going down the highway, you see a patrol car on the side of the road. It doesn't matter what speed yep. you're doing. You will yeah. at least look down at your speedometer and possibly pump the brakes. That's right. And this is no different. So you pull into a parking lot, you want to steal a car at three o'clock in the morning, you see a five foot tall, 400 pound machine kind of roaming around, no idea what it does. There's no one remote controlling it. The strobe light's going, it says police or security on the side. It's making some interesting sounds and it might greet you. Mm, you know what? I, I think I'm not going to steal a car tonight or maybe right. I'll go somewhere else. And that's literally what's been happening across the country with our clients. Wow. So what type of clients say, hey, I see what you guys are doing. I'm interested in this this type of product. Like who has really been your early adopters here? Big brother. We, we try to gather as much data and just feed it to big brother so they can control <laughs> everything. And big sister too. Right. Uh, just kidding. There's so much silliness that goes on in the media. I can only imagine. Where, you know, the robots are coming. They're going to kill everyone and take everyone's job. Like it's the like, Terminator, right? Okay, whatever. <laughs> Have you not seen the movie? It's like science fiction. Emphasis on fiction. Fiction. (laughs) So primarily our clients are can range anywhere from a corporate campus, commercial real estate, schools, manufacturing plants, logistics facilities, residential kind of HOA or apartments, pretty uh, casinos, hospitals, pretty much anywhere indoors or outdoors, mostly outdoors where you might see an officer or guard patrolling is likely an opportunity. And if you didn't see the announcement earlier this week, one of the major big public utility companies, PG&E, just doubled their order or the number of machines that they're going to be utilizing at their facilities. You know, it's a couple of decades after 9-11, you know, time to start better securing the grid. And, you know, we applaud and and are thankful for PG&E's support in in that regard. Wow. So, you know, you talked about just, for example, PG&E, right, doubling their order. So, can you talk a little bit about the data network that takes place in terms of, you know, what these robots are seeing? Are they communicating that information back to anybody? Like, how does the information flow work with what they may be seeing in real time? So the machines generate over 90 terabytes of data a year that no human's going to ever be able to process. So wow. we put that in a digestible format for the user to utilize. Typically, the user is a 
security operations center, a security guard, a law enforcement officer, or literally 911 dispatch. And they have a browser-based user interface that we provide to them that we call the KSOC. It's a Nightscope Security Operations Center. And there you can get a live feed of what's going on. There you can park machine, you can speak through the machine as if it's a mobile PA system. You can okay. see that, you know, it can read several hundred license plates a minute. I'll give you just an example. So for example, our clients might be a, a Samsung or a Bank of Hawaii or whatever. And let's say they or a school or someone like that terminated someone last week and it didn't go well and you're kind of worried they might come back. Mm -hmm. So you can upload the profile pic of the person, the license mm -hmm. plate, as well as all the MAC addresses for all their mobile devices. Wow. And literally the machines on the lookout for those detections. And in the minute, the second that that occurs, an alert goes to the officer or the guard or 911 with here's the information, here's a timestamp, here's a location. And again, it's eyes and ears and voice so they can really actually do their jobs. And what we're trying to do is give the officers and guards almost superhuman capabilities for them to be a lot, lot more effective. Are there other things that you can kind of, you know, program the robot to understand like what is and isn't a threat or things like that? Can you talk a little bit more about how you've programmed the robot? So I think over the long term, over the next, you know, two or three decades, what we need to really do is primarily around two axes. One is criminals and terrorists can be pretty much anywhere. Mm -hmm. So we have to be everywhere. So we have different form factors for indoors and outdoors and stationary mobile, but long-term are probably a very wide portfolio along the x-axis of different sizes of machines from extra extra small incognito mm -hmm. to you know massive machines roaming around cities and highways and then on the y-axis is we want these machines to be able to basically see feel hear and smell and do a hundred times more than a human could ever possibly do so in the future you would want these machines to be able to visibly see that someone's brandishing a weapon in an area that they're not supposed to, and then also do acoustic event detection and teach the machines, this is what a car starting sounds like. This is what glass breaking sounds like. This is what a gunshot sounds like. This is what someone yelling help sounds like. And then again, have these things provide that superhuman capability for the humans on the on patrol. Wow. So how do you think that these robots could potentially partner in the future with like police force or maybe soldiers? Like what is your vision for how you see, you know, that the robot kind of the machine and the man kind of merging as far as just being able to interact and, and make honestly our police officers and our soldiers safer? Two different answers. So I, I think the most methodical, thoughtful way to think about this is in order to fix the problem, which is crime and terrorism, it has to be software plus hardware plus humans. You need the machines to do the monotonous and computationally heavy stuff that no human can do. And you need the humans to do the decision-making and enforcement. Mm -hmm. The second part of the answer is I, I want to kind of clarify your question there. So we don't intend or ever plan to be on a battlefield. There's more than you know, the Department of Defense has an $800 billion budget. Like we don't need to be investing more in technology there. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, we can certainly help the Department of Defense better secure a military base. Been eye on out the assets have better eyes and ears for the military police to do their jobs. So we shouldn't be on the battlefield. You know, and you, if you talk to, you know, my, some of my colleagues that are ex, you know, law enforcement, ex-SWAT, 
ex-military as well, they can tell you that, you know, frankly, the criminal element and the terrorists are significantly more sophisticated in terms of technology on not the battlefield, but on our own cities and, and streets and communities, right? They do have the discretionary cash to hire more criminal elements to, you know, develop new things to keep an eye on law enforcement, to try to defeat different systems. And, you know, the law enforcement security apparatus that we have in our country is failing and will not scale. Yeah. Well, the scale part is, I think, the most concerning part. (laughs) It's failing and not scaling. What would you say when you think about, I would love to maybe put your yourself in the mind of a futurist, which in a lot of ways you already are. But you know, where do you see this space going? You mentioned those four areas that you have brought together, right, to really create this innovation. Where do you see all these areas going? And, and how do you think that these things will continue to, to merge together in the future? So the easiest way to predict the future, just create it. And that's kind of what we've been doing. Everyone told us when we started this in 2013, Hey, Bill, you're out of your mind. This will never work. It's hardware and software. It's too complicated. You should pick one. And physical security is not an investment thesis. You need to go away. And the best thing you can do as an entrepreneur is ignore all those people and go Mm -hmm. will into existence and and force what you want to happen to happen. And that's what we've literally done. I want to know more about your auto background too. Like talk a little, like I'm just, the curiosity bubbles just going off of like, how, do, how has that played into to what you've done here? I mean, how much, like, are you more on the auto side? Do you understand kind of that software side? Or are you partnered with, of course, probably phenomenal people that do that piece? So I'm an ex-car guy. I spent a decade at Ford Motor Company. If you look at my LinkedIn profile during that tenure, I look unemployable because every <laughs> few months I've got a new job. But I think I had 12 positions on four different continents over that 10 years. And I got to do basically everything. And Ford was an awesome, awesome training ground. I did, you know, component systems and vehicle engineering, manufacturing rationalization, finance marketing, strategy, director of mergers and acquisitions. I built a company for them. I had bought about 11 companies, uh, so 22 companies in 11 months. You had about 600 employees. And, you know, that gave me the, the entrepreneurial bug. But... You know, I'm not a roboticist, right? Well, you're a robotics company. No, we're an advanced physical security technology company. I frankly don't care what technology we work on. I'm focused on fixing the problem. And so unfortunately, unfortunately, in order, I think, to fix the problem efficiently so that society can actually afford it is to do what we did, which is come up with a autonomous security robot that can really provide a lot of value for minimal cost. But to answer your question, you know, there's, to me, the robots look like a really easy car to build. Like I've got no glass. I've got no pyrotechnics for airbags. I've got no seats. I don't, you know, there's a bunch of stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. And it's a lot easier to build than, you know, 13,000 parts and you got to get, you know, 60 jobs an hour out the door. This is a little bit easier in some regards and a lot, lot harder than a car. Because wow. no one's ever done this before. Wow. I would love to, you know, it, it makes me curious about your organization's vision and mission. Like when you think about your vision, you know, it doesn't, to your point, it doesn't have to focus on how to do it. It focuses on the problem to solve, which I think sometimes we get focused on the wrong things with a vision. And I would love to maybe talk a little bit more about 
how you came to the vision of the organization? I think 9-11 started the fire, the outright anger. And then I think Sandy Hook, that was the last straw. And I think since Sandy Hook, it's like 34, 3,500 mass shootings. And mm-hmm. we have made a lot of progress. If, if you go to nightscope.com slash crime, you can see all the wonderful things these machines have already done and we're just getting started. But, you know, it's taken way too long to build the technology. It's taking too long to, to scale things up. But, you know, we'll get there. You know, this problem was created over a couple hundred years. We're, we're not going to fix it in a couple years. But I get most excited when, hey, we were able to help a law enforcement agency issue an arrest warrant for a sexual predator. Wow. We awesome. helped a, another law enforcement agency end a domestic violence dispute. We helped a security guard apprehend a, a thief and another law enforcement agency apprehend an armed gunman. I mean, if you start going down that list and we just got started, hey, mm-hmm. I, I thought this wasn't supposed to work, right? Mm-hmm. And imagine if we're able to put a million of these machines out there to help the million officers and the million guards, I think we're going to put a massive dent in the problem. Wow. Well, that's powerful, you know, just hearing those stories, because I think we all feel the same way in the sense that we are not solving this problem fast enough. No, we're arguing about it. We're really, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole country is really good at arguing. It's like we decided that, you know, we have the honor and privilege to wake up every morning in Silicon Valley and actually go work on the problem as opposed to arguing about it. Yeah, that's powerful. What would you say to entrepreneurs that are listening to this podcast. I love some of the push that you gave them earlier. What other thoughts would you would you have for them, especially thinking about your own journey since, you know, 2013 in this space? I'll answer the question in in a way that typically I try to do when we're recruiting, which is try to kind of scare the person away not to take the job. <laughs> it's basically, "Hey, listen, you're a smart, educated person, you're rational. Startups will drain you physically, emotionally, psychologically. They'll drive you mentally mad. You'll have the worst day of your life on the same day as the best day of your life within a few hours of each other. The founder's you know, diet is what? You get you know, punched in the face for breakfast, you get kicked in the stomach for lunch, and then you get body slammed for dinner. And then the next morning, you got to wake up and smile and get back in the ring, right? And so if you're going to go through that hell, You better pick something that you're passionately enamored or really, really focused on that you're willing to do the irrational, illogical, and sometimes stupid things to make sure that the vision that you're trying to build actually happens. If you pick something, oh, I'm going to do a startup. It sounds really cool. Like this is not Hollywood. Like this is hard and, you know, 95% of startups fail. And part of it is folks thinking that, oh, this looks glamorous. I, I'm going to go be, be on a podcast and then I'm going to do my own blog and, and I'm going to you know, tweet about all the cool things I'm doing at my startup. And then they realize, oh, like this is really hard. This is a lot of hard work and you know, things go wrong. Your accountants don't care. Your auditors don't care. Your lawyers don't care. Your board doesn't care. Your team, you know, all your clients or whatever – Nobody cares. Like you're going to have to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and back in the ring every single day, not for weeks, not for months, but for years, if not decades, if you really want to be successful. So when you're figuring out what you're going to go work on, you know, life is short do what you love and make a big impact. 
and you better pick something that is really going to add some value to society and not working on the next generation, you know, whatever photo sharing app. Like we, we got, you know, is it serious times we need serious people to work on serious right. stuff? Yeah, that's so good. And I think that you've just given a, just a brilliant reality check to every person that thinks that they want to do entrepreneurship as a hobby. It's this is not a hobby. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. going to side hustle my way through this, or I, I'm going to take a class and, you know, along with my MBA, I'm going to have one or two semesters on entrepreneurship and all of a sudden voila, you know, I'm going to go, sorry, it's not, that's not reality. Well, what I love is that a lot of what you started out working on is what gave you the grit to understand what you wanted to do. It was kind of that that intersection of experience and passion, especially after 9-11. And you'd already I, I, been, you'd already I, I been laugh, doing the work. I laugh because I, I hate, hate getting old. And when you said 30 years, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing I absolutely adore and love is the experience. Like Nightscope probably would have gone under more than a few times if I was in my 20s. Like I wouldn't have known who to call, how to fix it, when to get, you know, in someone's face and when to back off. Like I, I wouldn't have known and I would have, I would have screwed it up. And for us, like our founding management team is the same team that was in 2013 is still running the company now. And for that, I'm eternally grateful for the team that we have, but you know, the probability of founding a company, getting it funded, growing it, and then listing it on NASDAQ, our ticker symbols, uh, KSCP, if you want to learn more, like is, I think, somewhere in the lottery category, like one in 350 or some million crazy odds of, of doing that. So it is really hard. So you got to pick something that you're infatuated with or, you know, possessed. Yeah. Well, you know, we all say that you have to have a little bit of an of an edge, right? You have to be oh, you're too like polite. You obsessed you, you with the problem. Gotta, you're too polite. You got to have <laughs> you gotta a crazy. No. This. That's so awesome. What final thoughts would you have for our listeners today? I think if we're going to accomplish our mission of making the United States of America the safest country in the world, there is no way that a bunch of ex-car guys, patriots, technologists, veterans are going to be able to do that by themselves. Like just before the public listing, we had closed, you know, north of $120 million from 35,000 investors. And I think going forward, we're going to need a massive cross section of society to help make this change, right? Yeah. We're going to have to figure out how to innovate public safety, automate public safety, and make a difference in each and every single community. And if you want to learn more, just go to nightscope.com. There's all kinds of opportunities to engage, learn about the technology, get your mayor involved, get your chief of police, your sheriff, uh, your school administrator, your hospital administrator, whatever it might be, because we're going to need a lot of support. And it's not going to be, you know, a, a few hundred, a few thousand people. We're going to need a few million people to like, okay, I think we've had enough. I don't think the founders of our country ever expected us to build a society where going to work, going to school, or going to the movie theater literally came with the risk of being shot or killed. Like right. this nonsense is going to stop, but right. we can't sit on the sidelines thinking it's just going to automatically get downloaded from the cloud and stop. Like we have to actually go do something. So please come visit and learn a little bit more about what we're doing. If you really want to see the robots up close, We've got this crazy, I call it the robot aquarium, 
But if you go to nightscope.com slash roadshow, we've got a crazy pod full of robots that are going around the country. We've done about 50 stops where you can come see, feel, and get your robot selfie in real life. That's amazing. I'm checking that URL out right after this. Well, where can people find you personally? Where can they follow you? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's W Santana Lee and certainly on, on LinkedIn as well. But, you know, I appreciate you having us and everyone, please be safe out there. Thank you so much, Bill. I really appreciate your time today. This has been such a fun episode. I got to be honest, when I found out that I was going to be interviewing you, I geeked out and, you know, I was really excited. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. I appreciate that. Well, to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership. And visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Today's sponsorship is brought to you by Territory Global. We work at the intersection of experience and imagination. We help you pinpoint problems and turn them into opportunities. We make imagine happen. Some of the best organizations in the world choose us as their partner to help solve their strategy, innovation, transformation, story, and ways of working problems. Learn more at Territory.co.